Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. In fact, Father, I just want to give a a moment in silence for, for each of us just to ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us because nothing else that's said really matters except for what your Spirit can communicate through your Word. We give you full permission, Father, to touch our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, to draw us closer to you so that we really can come and adore Jesus. We want to be filled with adoration for Jesus. And we just ask that today you would open our eyes a little wider to your glory, that we would see you a little more clearly, and that we would long to share more about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was a child, this was a time of year that was filled with anticipation. I don't know about you, and maybe some of you who are are kids, maybe you've already seen the presents wrapped and put under the, the tree. In fact, last night, the young adults were talking about how some of you get Uh, The Advent Legos, I guess, where you open up each day a new set of Legos, but you have to wait and open a new one, and you find out about the new one, the new one, the new one. This time of year can be filled with a lot of anticipation. Each year when I was living in Pennsylvania as a young child, I would drive down to Florida to my grandparents' house. And at my grandparents' house, we would help her set up the Christmas tree. And then little by little, there would be presents under this Christmas tree. And I remember as my cousin and I would look at this Christmas tree, and we'd see those presents under there, and we'd peek and see, is there one with our name on it? Yeah, that one, that one has your name on it, Rebecca. Oh, there's one with my name on it. Look at how big it is. I wonder what's inside of it. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And I wasn't like my brother who actually would poke holes in them and peek inside to see what they were. I wasn't that smart. But each night, my cousin and I, we slept in the living room because all the bedrooms were full at my grandma's house. And it felt harder and harder each night to fall asleep. I don't know if you had that as a child as you got close to Christmas. Nights just felt so long and you'd have to go to bed early and we'd try counting. We'd try uh, all kinds of things to hopefully fall asleep so Christmas could come sooner. We were filled with so much anticipation. That's really what Christmas should be filled of. Filled with anticipation like we find in Luke chapter 2. Thank you so much, Jerry, for reading the scripture reading this morning. In Luke chapter 2, we find a story where anticipation is crucial, where there are a group of people who are looking for Jesus. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now Luke gives a lot of historical details, and it's interesting because if you read about this, for a while, those who were critical of Scripture used to look at this and say, we don't know what this is talking about. I don't think that this really happened. But as archaeologists keep making more discoveries, little by little we're finding that this is very accurate history. And in fact, some people say that the Gospel of Luke should be taken as clearer history than any other history book. So here we have a census is taken during the Quirinius who was governing Syria. Verse 3. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. What happens in your life when things become inconvenient? When, when things don't go the way that you planned? When the IRS gives you a bill that's bigger than you expected? Here you have Joseph and Mary suddenly being required at that moment in time when it's the last thing you probably want to do to travel out of town. In fact, I was talking to Ashley and they were talking about they were going to stay around during Thanksgiving because she's so close to delivering the baby and you never know when it's going to come and you don't want to just be out on the road when your baby comes. And here they are required to go and to register And when the oppressive Roman power asks you to go to register, it's likely so that you're going to have to pay more taxes. Just what you want when you have a child on the way. You have this oppressive government that's calling you to to be registered and you're, you're going to have to go out of your way. You're going to have all this expense of travel, of staying in a foreign place, of being away from your business. And on top of that, they're probably going to enforce a lot more taxes on you. It's a terrible time. And at this point, they could say, God, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you allowing this to happen to us? This just doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? And in fact, it's there that she gives birth. The last thing that you would think that a, a mother would want to do goes on in verse Verse 6, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It just keeps getting worse. Here they are. They're away from home. The last place you want to deliver your child. You're going to be taxed and you get to this city and there's no place for you to have for your wife. They end up in an not even able to deliver in an inn, and they end up having a child that they lay in a manger. Interestingly, though, God is behind every step of this. God has a plan for them each and every step of the way, and God has a plan for you when things don't necessarily make sense in your life. Do you believe that God is working out His will as you trust Him, as you constantly seek His guidance in your life? If you go back to Micah, Micah actually foretold about Christ's birth in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. You see, when things get confusing, when things aren't happening the way that you expect, the way that you think that they should, if you trust in God at that moment in time, he may be working out one of the greatest moments in all of history. Because that's what he was doing in this story. That's what he was doing for Mary, because Mary wasn't supposed to have that child in Nazareth. That wasn't God plan. That wasn't what he had prophesied. And if, if this oppressive uh, power hadn't have called them to go and to be taxed, to go and to register, if, if all of this hadn't taken place in their lives, then the prophecy couldn't have been fulfilled. But because all things can work together through, for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose, this 
seemingly difficult situation was turned around for good in the lives of Joseph and Mary. In fact, the story is, is, is just appalling, really. To think about here you have, most, you have Joseph and, and Mary who are going to deliver a child in a stable. A stable. I mean, how many of you have horses or, or cows or goats? How many of you would like for your grandchild or your child to be delivered in the pasture with your goats and your, or your horses and then to lay them in, in one of the feeding troughs where you put the, the hay to feed your horses? This, this is all so humbling. All, it just seems like such a terrible situation. But it's interesting some scholars think that this also may have been indicated if you go to back to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not consider. You see, all of Israel should have been getting ready at this point in time. They had the prophecies of Daniel. They had the prophecies of Daniel chapter 9 that indicated very clearly that they were at the time when Jesus was to be born. They knew they had been looking forward to the Messiah coming for thousands of years. Ever since the first gospel promise was given in, back in Genesis, right after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. They knew that Jesus should be coming. They knew they should be looking for a Messiah, but they were looking in all the wrong places. They were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for somebody that was going to come and destroy the Romans. They were looking for somebody to deliver them from the Roman power. And they were looking in all the wrong places. But Isaiah 1 verse 3 says, The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. So often when things go wrong in my life, I don't realize that God is at work because I'm looking in all the wrong places. I'm not really expecting him to show up. I shared about this at prayer meeting, but this past week I went out with Terrence to do some follow-up with the It Is Written Bible study requests. And we had three brand new studies to go follow up on. And as we looked up the first address, it was on Red Cloud Road. And we found Red Cloud Road. And it's a very interesting road if you live around there, but it, it goes around in a circle. So we were trying to find the different parts of this road. And the number was like 655 or something like that. And we were looking around Red Cloud Road and couldn't find this number. First we were in the 700s, then it went to the 500s. But then finally we went on a, a loop and we found the 600s. So as we're going along, it goes 659, 657, 653. Wait a second. Where's 655? And then we look. 655 is an empty lot. We look on the other side of the street. No, it's the even numbers. Ah, oh, we're just wasting our time. Okay, let's go to the next house. So we put in the next address and Terrence and I head off and we get to the, the next address and we're, we're looking and he says, I think it's the apartments on the other side of the street. I was like, okay, I'll go over there. So I went over, we went to the apartments on that side of the street. No, it's the wrong address. So he said, oh, I'm sorry. I think we got to go back and cross the street the other way. So we get back to get on, but there's a median there. So we had to turn right. Then we had to turn right again. Then we had to go and make a U-turn and come back and get back on Spring Street until finally we get to this apartment complex. And then we're looking for the apartment complex, the right building. 
And we walk in the first building, and then we're looking around at the numbers, and then we realize Unit 35 isn't in this building. So we walk back out, and there's the building. Sure enough, Unit 35 is in there. We get in there, and we knock on the door. And then we knock again. And we knock again. And nobody comes to the door. So we turn around, and as we're walking out of the apartments, I was telling Terrence, I was like, well, you know, if you think about it, because we were just kind of disappointed, like we were wasting our time. I said, you know, if you think about it, the disciples had it a lot harder. When they went out two by two, they had to walk to people's houses. And imagine if somebody's not home when you walk there. And Terrence is like, yeah, yeah, we have it a lot better. We get to drive. And so we hop in the car, and we're putting in the next address in the GPS to go look for it. A car pulls past, and then I pull out. And as we were pulling out of the parking lot, I said, I wonder if that might be the guy that we were looking for. And Terrence is like, hey. And I was half joking. He said, hey, that is. I was like, what what are you talking about? He's like, roll down your window. So I roll down my window. And he's like, he yells out the guy's name. And, And the guy comes walking over to the car. He's like, who is it? He's like, it's Terrence. Terrence, you remember me, Terrence? He's like, yeah, how are you doing? He's like, oh, is your older brother around? He said, no, my older brother's not here right now, but we said, hey, can we give you this Bible study so you can give it to him later? Do you realize that if we hadn't have been delayed in that one neighborhood, and then if we hadn't have gone to the wrong apartment, then had to go all the way around and make a U-turn and come back, all these things that didn't make sense to us, that seemed like a waste of time, that seemed like God was not directing us, if all of that hadn't have happened, then we would have missed Justin that day. We would have not been able to give him that Bible study. Psalm 37 and verse 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of a good man, or the way of the Lord, the way of a good man is ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. As we trust in God, We can trust that he orders our footsteps, that he's delighting in your path. And even though it looks like a mess, even though it looks like things aren't working out, through it all, God promises that he is working out a marvelous miracle like happened to Mary and Joseph. That Christ is going to be revealed through your life. That he's going to reveal Jesus in ways that you can only imagine. That's what we find as we continue reading in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 continues... In many unexpected ways. Verse 8 says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. This angel doesn't come and he doesn't stand in the temple of Jerusalem. This angel doesn't come to the scribes and the Pharisees. This, this angel doesn't come to all the expositors of prophecy, the ones who are teaching the law. He doesn't come to those that he should have come to. Somehow, he passes all of them by. Somehow, he doesn't even go to the town of Bethlehem that, that could have had a, a huge celebration to celebrate that the king was here, that Jesus had been born. But somehow, the only people that he can find who are watching are shepherds out in a field. Of all people, shepherds, I mean, what do they know about Bible prophecy? What do they know about the Scriptures? What do they know about the coming Messiah? Who are they that they should be the ones to be given this message for the world of Jesus being born? 
Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. That word good tidings there is gospel. I bring you the gospel, the good news, the the good tidings of great joy. The, the word for great there is mega, mega joy. I come with a, an incredible message, a message of joy, and he's bringing it to shepherds out in the field. He's not going to the, the capital of, of the, the country, to Jerusalem, to, to the rulers. He's not going to the, the Pharisees, but he's bringing it to shepherds who are watching their sheep. You imagine what's going through the shepherd's mind at this point as they see the glory of God revealed. The angel appears before them, and then it says in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that you've been looking for for thousands of years. I've come to tell you that he's been born. Can you imagine what's going through the shepherd's mind? Us? Why is he coming to tell us that, that here the, the king has been born? Why has he come to tell us? At this point in time, can you imagine the visions of grandeur that are going through their minds? Because they've been taught the same things, that, that the Messiah, when he appears, that, that he's going to appear as this amazing figure. That he's going to, to free them from the power of the Romans Then the angel goes on and says this, verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. This is going to be the sign. This is how you know that that this is the right child. This This is the miracle in action. This is the sign. Look for this. What do they look for? You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Wait a second. So this is the sign that the Savior has been born. This is the sign that the, the son of David, the, the one who's to rule forever, the, the king, he's, this is the sign that he's been born? That he's in a stable with oxen and sheep and, and that he's in a manger. This just doesn't make sense. How is this a great sign? And in my life, so often when things are happening, I think, God, where are you? God, why, why aren't things happening more smoothly? Why doesn't this look better for me? In James chapter 1, though, it says this. James chapter 1 tells us to rejoice when we have trials and tribulations because in these things, God is working. James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete, lacking nothing. You see, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of what doesn't make sense, God is showing up and he's revealing himself in a powerful way. He's bringing that sign that had been promised all the way back by Isaiah. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, it said that a virgin would bring forth a child and his name should be called Emmanuel and that this would be a sign. He would be God with us. God in human flesh. The one who John 1 and verse 14 said, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten 
Son of God, who was full of grace and truth. This was the one that the shepherds were warned about. But why did God pass by all the the religious elite in Jerusalem? Why did God pass by those who should have been the ones who revealed Jesus? Great controversy. I actually have the wrong citation on here. It's the Great Controversy, page 314. It says, An angel visits the earth to see who are prepared to welcome Jesus. There is no evidence that Christ is expected and no preparation for the Prince of Life. Can you imagine as the angel Gabriel comes down and he first of all goes through Jerusalem and as he goes to the temple, maybe there because they've known about this prophecy, they know that the Messiah should be coming. As they look around, there's nobody there ready to welcome Jesus. There's, there's no expectation. As they go to Bethlehem, maybe in the town where he's actually been born, maybe they at least know he's in a stable. Nobody's paying attention to him. In fact, he's laid in a manger. There is no evidence that Christ is expected and no preparation for the Prince of Life. In amazement, the celestial messenger is about to return to heaven with the shameful tidings when he discovers a group of shepherds who are watching their flocks by night. And as they gaze into the starry heavens, are contemplating the prophecy of a Messiah to come to earth and longing for the advent of the world's Redeemer. Here is a company that is prepared to receive the heavenly message. Here was a group who were actually looking for, praying for, expecting that Jesus was coming. Here is a group who God could reveal himself to because they were looking. Jesus later goes on to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, when we seek, we find. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you seek me, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. God shows up when we're looking for him. God shows up when we're expecting him, when we're anticipating, when we can't wait for more of Jesus. That's what happens for the shepherds. The shepherds are the ones who, as they're there watching their flocks, all they can think about, all they can talk about is when is the Messiah coming? We know that the prophecies of Daniel are nearly reaching their fulfillment. We know that the time has come. Surely he's going to show up soon. And it's to them that the angel shows up. And he shows up and he gives them this incredible message. Message that would have been challenging to most of us to think that the God of the universe came and was born as a baby and he's laying in a manger. And you're going to know that he's your savior because he'll be in a stable in a manger. That's going to be the sign to you. Amazing. And then in verse 13. It's, it's as if the entire heavenly host had just been waiting for, for Gabriel to get his message out. They couldn't wait for Gabriel to finally tell them the message that he was sent to do. And all of a sudden, it says in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. God is being glorified through the situation where Jesus is laying in a feed trough, in a stable, The God of the universe is being glorified by this. It's bringing peace and goodwill to men. This situation that seems so terrible. That seems like it's all wrong. And yet this is the sign that God is at work. And in your life, when everything is going wrong, 
but you're trusting in Jesus and you're daily asking for his guidance and you're asking him to make you a witness and you, you feel like it's not happening, trust him because he is doing what he's promised to do. He's faithful to his promises. This past week, I've had a couple encounters where I didn't expect that God was really using me in these different situations. There was one day where I ended up feeling impressed to write a, a message to a, a, a former young adult that we had worked with in Taft, California. And I sent a message to him just saying, hey, how's it going? It's been a long time since I've talked to you. What's going on? A day later, I got a message back from him. He said, I don't know why you suddenly messaged me out of the blue, but God saved my life through that. I was going to be, he said, through some different situations, he felt like his life was on the line. But he said, I'm realizing that I have got to get God first in my life. He said, this is not a game. This is about eternity. Praise God, I had no idea. All I did was send him a little message saying, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? Last night, I sent a text message to another young adult to see if they would be able to come to our, our meeting last night that we had at our house. I sent a message to him. Not 30 seconds later, my phone's ringing. I pick up the phone, and on the other end is, again, somebody who's broken, who said, your message came at just the right time when I was asking, Jesus, will you see me through? Will you help me in this situation? God wants to use you in miraculous ways, and oftentimes you're not even going to realize what's going on. Oftentimes, God touches people in the biggest ways when I have no clue what I'm doing. All I'm doing is thinking, oh, well, this, this person should be invited. I better send them a text message. Or, or this person needs a, I'm just going to send a Facebook message to them because I haven't heard from them in a while. And God, all the while, is working through you to work a miracle. Because Colossians 1.27 says, this is the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christmas isn't just about Jesus being born 2,000 years ago, but Christmas is about what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to use you to do in other people's lives. He wants for his glory to be seen throughout this earth as he becomes a living reality in your heart. So you imagine the shepherds as they hear this amazing message, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. They shouldn't have been surprised. If you go back to Isaiah 57, it tells us exactly who God delights to dwell with. It's not with those who are, are lofty and proud, but instead it's with the humble, it's with the contrite. Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You see, it's the humble ones. It's the, it's the shepherds out in the field who are just wanting to know is the Messiah coming, who are just looking for him, who he shows up to. It's not those who think they have it all together. It's not those who think that they understand everything. It's not those who are proud, but it's those who are humble who get a revelation of Jesus. This Christmas, I want to be among those that humble their hearts so that Jesus can come and live with me. But going back to Luke chapter 2, look at the response of the shepherds. 
verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. There's no delay there. It says, let us now go. And it's, in the Greek, it's emphasizing, it's making it urgent, saying, we've got to go as quick as possible. Let's go. And then it says, they make haste. And as fast as possible, they go and they look for this child that's laying in a manger. And when they see it, they don't try to make things better for him. They recognize that this is the sign that we've been told. And look at what they do. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which are told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The Great Controversy, page 171, says, It is God's plan to employ humble instruments to accomplish great results. Then the glory will not be given to men, but to him who works through them to will and to do of his own good pleasure. God chose shepherds. He chose people who didn't know everything. People that, that the world looked at as, why would they come to announce that the Messiah had been born? Those are the ones that he chose to be the first Adventist. Those are the ones who proclaimed the first advent of Jesus. And Jesus wants to use you. You may not feel like you have anything special to share with the world, but you do. Jesus wants to use you to share about his second advent because before long he's coming back and he's looking for the same type of people. He's looking for people who are filled with anticipation, people who can't wait to see Jesus come back, people who are expecting, people who are watching and seeing that the prophecies are being fulfilled, who are expecting that God is working even though it may seem like the humility of our life is, is making a mess of things. It may seem like we aren't really accomplishing what we want to accomplish, but who are trusting that God is doing it anyway. Hebrews 9 verse 28 tells us that who Christ will appear to at the second coming. Hebrews chapter 9, the end of the verse, verse 28, tells us to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Who is Jesus coming back for? Who is he going to appear for? For those who are eagerly waiting, with expectation, looking to the heavens, saying, is Jesus coming back? How can we see from these signs that Jesus is coming back soon? Those who are paying attention, those who are watching for Jesus, are the ones that he's going to appear for. Same thing is said in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse, chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Jesus often returned, referred to his coming as being like a thief in the night because it's going to surprise people. Because people are going to be unprepared for it. They're not ready. They're not looking. They're not with expectancy looking at the prophecies and expecting that Jesus is coming. They're not filled with love for the truth. Not filled with love for Jesus. But there will be a group who's looking for him. Verse 5 continues, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. 
We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Jesus is calling for us to watch in this time. He's calling for us to be looking for Jesus to appear. Looking for him to show up in the midst of tragedy. Looking for him to show up in the midst of the difficulties of our life. Looking for the miracle of him working all things together for good in our lives. Because we love him. Because we're called according to his purpose. There's an article in the Adventist Review that just was uh, put out on their website this week about the shooting this past week in San Bernardino. This happened really close to the big medical facility run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Loma Linda. And actually, one of the ladies who was coordinating that dinner where the shooting took place was a Seventh-day Adventist. And did you know that just moments before those shooters came into the room, she said, well, let's take a 15-minute break. And people walked out of that room There were people in the bathroom that you read about who were hiding in the bathroom. They were only hiding in the bathroom and able to be saved because they'd had a 15-minute break. More people would have died if it wasn't for how God was protecting and God was working in the midst of a terrible situation, in the midst of the evil that we have chosen as a planet. God was working. Are we willing to look for it? Are we willing to expect that God is really working in our lives, even when things don't make sense, even when it looks like all kinds of tragedy is going on, are we really willing to expect that Jesus is God with us and that he is working these things out for good in our life? That's what he wants to do for you and me. That same lady, the, the killers came by, they pointed the gun at her head, but then they shot her in the leg. She's not sure why but she's alive because of it today. And we don't have all the answers as to why other people die on that day, but we do know that we have a loving Savior. We do know that the God of the universe does not like all that's going on and that he is longing to set us free. We do know that just like the shepherds, we have a message to take to this world. Do you know that you have a message that's more urgent, that's more exciting, that involves more people than the shepherds had? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 tells about another message where an angel appears. And you and I have been given this angel's message to take to the world. Three angels' messages in Revelation 14, 6 to 10. Revelation 14 verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Here it's using the same word as those great tidings, those glad tidings that were given to the shepherds. An angel shows up, flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. You remember the angel when he showed up to the shepherds? He said, this is a message for all people. This angel, it's to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. This message was not understood for many years. But it was in the early 1800s when a group of humble people, a group who weren't the scholarly elite, a group who didn't necessarily uh, have all the theology degrees, but a group who wanted to follow Jesus and to know the Bible for themselves, discovered that this is just for us today. 
There was a guy by the name of William Miller. He was a farmer. In fact, he doubted Scripture. He didn't really believe that the Bible could be trusted. But he began to study the Bible through some different circumstances that happened in his life. And he began to determine that he was going to either disprove the Bible and show that there were inconsistencies that couldn't be dealt with, or he was going to search through the Bible and find out the truth. And as he studied through Scripture, he came upon the amazing prophecy of Daniel 8.14 that said, Unto 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And he began to proclaim about the soon coming of Jesus, and he misunderstood. But God was using even that misunderstanding to awaken people to the urgency that Jesus is coming back soon. At the time, it was popularly believed that there was going to be a temporal millennium where for a thousand years they were going to just enjoy time on earth. And William Miller said, no, this is clearly in 1844, Jesus is coming back. Now he misunderstood exactly what that meant. And if you haven't studied that prophecy out for yourself, I encourage you to study it. I encourage you to pick up the It Is Written Bible Study Guides that we've been going through. They have a a great summary on that there. Or to pick up the book Great Controversy and read it through. Because these things are urgent. You think about the shepherds. If they hadn't have been watching, if they hadn't have been looking, if the first Adventists hadn't been looking for Jesus, they would have missed him. Just like the priests, the Pharisees. They missed him. But the shepherds... They didn't miss him. And you and I don't need to miss Jesus this time around. In the Review and Herald, June 11, 1889, it says, God has given us his precious word. And on our knees we should study it until his light shall break upon us. And we have a message that we cannot withhold from others. Friends, if the message we have is not burning in your heart, that you have to share it, I encourage you to follow this advice, to get on your knees and to study until you have such light about Jesus that you can't hold it back from the world. You realize that you have an incredible message of a soon coming Savior who wants to save as many as possible. Don't rest until you know that you have light from God to share with this world. And once you have it, follow the example of the shepherds, and go share it widely. Share it with everybody. Don't worry about the fact that you don't have a theology degree. Don't worry about the fact that that you don't feel like you have all the answers, but just go tell somebody about what Jesus has done in your life and about the things that he showed you from the Bible. And watch and see what he does in people's life. God has prepared good works beforehand, Ephesians 2.10 says, that you should walk in them. He's created you for good works. He's planned out for you a path that he wants for you to share. So in conclusion today, I just want to challenge you to two things. One, to study and pray and ask for Jesus to reveal his glory to you until you have something that you can't hold back from the people around you, that you just can't wait to share. And two, to daily ask God to give you opportunities to share. Ask him to set up divine appointments for you. Ask him to guide your footsteps. He's promised it in Psalm 37, 23 that he will direct your footsteps. Claim that promise and say, God, direct my footsteps today. Do what you promised in John 14, 12 that when I believe in you, the works that you did, I will do also and greater works than these because you have ascended to the Father. 
please fulfill your promises in my life. Do you want to do that? First of all, to study until you know that you've seen the glory of Jesus and you can't hold back from sharing that with the world. That only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal these things to us and empower us to share them. And two, to pray that the Holy Spirit daily guides you to people that you can share with. If that's your desire this Christmas, if you want this Christmas to be about the advent of Christ, not just his first advent, but the second advent that is coming so soon, I want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. Jesus, we stand as humble Christians who simply believe that you have given us an incredible message to share with this world. And God, it's humbling as we recognize that outside of the doors of this church, there are seven billion people, many of whom have not even heard of the name of Jesus Christ. And yet you have told us to go to all nations, to tell them the good news that you are coming back soon to save us from this mess that we're in. Lord God, we stand not because we're able, but we stand because you are in the business of taking humble men and women and of transforming them and filling them with power and transforming the world through them. Lord, fill my friends with your Holy Spirit this morning. Fill them with a passion to share Jesus that they can't contain. As they daily ask for an opportunity to share Jesus, show up for them in surprising and miraculous ways, just like you did for Joseph and Mary. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, our King, and our soon-coming God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.